3 John. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified of your truth as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing that you do in your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified of your love before the church. You may do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. And therefore, we ought to support people like these, that they may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. And so if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to put them out of, and puts them out of church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I, I had much to write to you, and I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be unto you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray that you would speak to us, Lord, from your word, that I would just be a channel, that my frailty would not in any way impact the message. Speak to our hearts, Lord, so that we are not just hearers, but doers of your word. In Jesus Christ, the Lord's name. Would you, be please, would you please be seated? So the verse that I want to uh, talk on and uh, use as our key verse is... Uh, verse 11, which says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Uh, If you were to ask any school-going student about uh, what do you do to to feel cool or act cool, and probably they'll say imitate, 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 right? Or be what we call the peer pressure. And what I see here is is what I want to call the divine peer pressure that we have examples that we can look at, the cloud of witnesses that we can, we can imitate. Um, Warren Berkeley says this, in regards to biblical terms, I should not imitate the disobedience of Cain, the, uh, sorry, the hatred of Cain, the disobedience of Saul, the betrayal of Judas, or the arrogance of Diotrephes, But I should imitate the faith of Abraham, the faithfulness of Joseph, the purity of Daniel, and the wise affection of Apostle John. So really, that is what we want to look at. And so from this, what we want to look at is three parts. We look at the context. Why was this episode written? So we understand. And then we look at the characters. There are some characters there. And then the charge that John is writing. So the three parts to it is what we want to look at. All right, and um, and what I want to do here is 
remind ourselves that this is what we want to do, imitate good, imitate good, all right? So uh, just the context. This is the third epistle that John has written. It's, if you would look at the Greek, a number of Greek words used, this is the shortest epistle. And in fact, this would, what we would call the postcard epistle, which means it's written in one uh, papyrus sheet. That's it, nothing more. It's not a scroll, nothing else. It's just one sheet. And uh, the subject that is addressed here is at that time, there were these traveling missionaries or speakers or teachers who would come along, and how do you treat them? How do you provide for them? That is the theme of this, of this episode, all right? Uh, this could be like a commendation letter. We don't know exactly. It's not very clear, but it is likely, based on that verse 12, that Demetrius is the carrier of this letter, and uh, Gaius, to whom it is written, John is saying, you know, he's got a great testimony, welcome him, show him hospitality. So that could be the possibility. And uh, so a short uh, summary, if you would, would be John is writing to Gaius. He's saying, guys, I you know, commend you for your hospitality. You're doing some great things. But look at Diotrephes, who... Uh, who is prideful, is arrogant, who doesn't listen. Uh, he puts people out uh, when they try to show hospitality. Don't be like that, but I'm sending you Demetrius, or you know, there is Demetrius whose testimony is good, and uh, please show him, um, you know, accept him and show him your um, hospitality. So the characters... This is where we want to spend some time and, uh, and learn from the characters. What is it that we can take away? All right. There are four characters I want to touch on. One is John, the author of this episode. The second is Gaius, to whom the letter is written. And the third is Diotrephes, the troublemaker, the one who is arrogant and prideful. And the fourth is Demetrius. And we'll look at that each, each uh, individually, all right? So the first I want to talk about is John. All right, so if I get my... I want to talk about John. And the three things that I want to talk about John is that his use of the word elder... And he uses a word, beloved, and his use of the word, uh, or he says, his greatest joy. Okay, what gives him the greatest joy? The three things that I want to talk about when I'm talking about John, all right? And so when you start to read that, he says, the elder to the beloved, guys. And I want you to stop there and say, hey, this is John who's saying elder, How many, episodes, how many writings of John do we have? Five. We have five writings of John. And in those five writings of John, in the book of John, the apostle according to John, uh, and in the first epistle of John, he doesn't even mention his name. And then you get to Revelation, he says, servant John or John. Those are the two phrases that he uses. That's it. But in Second John and then third John, he uses the word elder. What is the way that he acknowledges himself when he writes in the gospel according to John? How does he address himself? Beloved, the one whom Jesus loved, 
in uh, John chapter 21, we see the one who leaned on the bosom of Jesus. And those are the ways he addresses himself. Uh, what really caught my attention is, you know, and if you turn, if don't want to, I don't want you to turn right now, but when you turn later to John 21, verse 2, that's the time when Peter um, is about to say, I'm going to go fishing. You know, re- resurrection is all done. I've seen Jesus, but now I'm going to go fishing. It says there, there was Simon Peter, there was Thomas, there were the sons of Zebedee. John is writing, sons of Zebedee. You know, that's about himself. Uh, I was like, wow, this is really going out of your way not to use your name. And so when he uses the word elder, now elder is a term of honor in the Christian, in the Jewish Christian or in the Gentile Christian, uh, uh, you know, in the first century during that time, this word elder was a, a, a term of respect, of honor. It's not necessarily that he was saying he was an elder at a local church, but that he is, the word there is presbyter, or presbyteros, as, as in Greek, that you would have that. So what John is saying is, hey, listen, I, I've got something to tell you. When he uses the word of honor for himself, this title that he's using, uh, this is something like Jesus who says, truly, truly. You see, we know everything that Jesus says is important, but especially when he says, truly, truly, there's something that the listener needs to sit up and listen. Uh, so last Sunday we saw about Second John, and we saw how John is trying to warn about false witnesses. And now in Third John, he's trying to talk about these traveling witness uh, uh, missionaries, these teachers who are coming, and how do we treat against them. So there's an important message for us to take away. And that is one that I, I, I want us to look at. So we got that as an elder, all right? But let's also look at the word beloved. Beloved. Four times in this short epistle, he uses the word beloved. And I thought, uh, you know, his other words, what are his other words? When you read his writings, some of his other words are truth and light and love and word uh, or darkness and world. One word that he uses again and again is beloved. And I'm telling you, that phrase, that word beloved means a lot to him. And I, 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 okay, let, let's, let's understand this. Why is John using that word beloved? In Mark chapter 3, verse 17. Mark three seventeen. This is the time when Jesus is calling his disciples. And you know what's written there? It, this is what is, he calls them and he surnames John and James, the sons of Zebedee. He calls them the sons of Bonerges or the sons of thunder or the sons of commotion. It could be because they had this burst of anger because remember the time when, when Jesus was going through Samaritan village and set his uh, face to go to Jerusalem. The Samaritan village uh, did not welcome him. And uh, uh, the sons of Zebedee would turn to Jesus and say, should I call, should I, that is John and James, should I call fire from heaven? And Jesus would say, you don't know what kind of spirit you have. That was a pretty stern thing that Jesus tells to the sons of Zebedee. Be with me here. Jesus named him, named them, or him in this case, sons of, uh, sons of thunder. But when he refers to himself, he says, 
the one whom Jesus loved. He was impacted by this love of Christ. He realizes that he had no position, no role. He had no way that he could be a disciple of Jesus Christ. He was disqualified even from the very get-go. And yet, he was the one who was impacted by the love of Jesus. That he would say, the one who loved me, not that he didn't love others, but Jesus loved me. I was a son of thunder. So we know him now as the apostle of love. Apostle of love. Love that impacted him. You see, the love that transformed John is the love that he now shows Gaius and others. He uses the term beloved. I was loved by this God. And I have no other right but not to love my fellow brother, my fellow sister. Beloved. Beloved. The word there is agapetos, from where we get the word agape, love. A love which had no condition, which had no strings attached. But I would love the person, he who loved in turn, passed it on as a greeting. And here we read it to Gaius. How do I, how do I apply that to myself? You know, Jesus said, he who uh, drinks of me, he who believes in me, from out of, his, out of him will blow, uh, sorry, flow fountains, the rivers of fountain. It's not just an internal thing. It needs to be evidence on the outside. You see, so what John has received, he shows up. John 15, 9 says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. The love that the Father showed the Son, Son showed John, now John shows to Gaius. That's a challenge for us. So therefore, John 13, 35 says this, By this all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. I want you to look around among yourselves. Okay, and if you see anybody perfect here, not just yourself, but anyone else who's perfect, I want you to stand up. Well, that's the point, right? We love each other, not because we are perfect. There's nothing, you know, we're not the ones who are perfect. God is. And, and as John was testifying to that, the son of thunder, who was saying, I was loved by Christ, that love would impact us to that extent. That my love for my brother, for my sister, would be the love that I have received from the Lord himself. So I have no right to talk down, to, to slander negatively or gossip against. I have no right. I cannot talk anything against a fellow, fellow brother, a fellow sister. And so the mouth that I use, let it be the evidence that, that I, as the son of thunder, am now the beloved of God that that'll be my form of address, beloved. And don't get me wrong, this disciple of love was no pushover. That is what we read in Third John. Love does not mean that, you know, he's going to be the, he's not going to stand up for what is truth. 
speaking the truth and love is what John does. But then that brings us to the, the next one, the greatest joy, the greatest joy. He, he says, uh, no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Let that be true for us. You know, I'm not sure what's the greatest joy that we get. What gives us the greatest joy? A promotion? A fancy car? I'm I'm not sure. Or or just those little things. Sleeping a little longer gives a great joy on a Saturday morning or, or a Sunday morning. What's the greatest joy? Dearly beloved, my brother and my dear sister, whom I love in truth, the Lord is doing a wonderful work in me, as you can see, and my greatest joy is to see the same work being done in you. The Lord is doing a work in me. A son of thunder becoming a child of God. And so my greatest joy would be that I would encourage you to, to, to see, to, to show forth to the world the work that has been done in our heart, in our lives, and that's evidence on the outside. Let's move on to the next one, which is Gaius. Gaius, right? And there are four things about Gaius that has been said um, that, so he, Verse 2, verse 2 talks about spiritfulness. It talks about his truthfulness. It talks about his faithfulness. And it talks about his helpfulness. Okay, we'll we'll go through that really quick. Verse 2, spiritfulness. Verse 3, truthfulness. Verse 5, faithfulness. And verse 8, helpfulness. A life of spiritfulness. You know, verse 2, this is what it says. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. John was saying, hey, Gaius, I hope that your physical health, the, the, uh, uh, the bank balance would be as good as your spiritual health. If that were a prayer for us, I hope that it doesn't mean that we will be sickly of health, physical health, and bankrupt. It's a charge. The gold standard that John puts is the quality of our spiritual life. Uh, You know, I want us to understand this again and again and again and again. This temporal is here today, gone tomorrow. We, We we spent so much of our efforts on that. The life of truthfulness, verse 3. The way the word truth is used is both objectively and subjectively. And I think that is something sometimes we forget. And what I mean by that objective and subjective is, objective is that these are biblical truths. That, that John is saying, hey, guys, I know you, are, uh, you hold on to these biblical truths. This is an objective truth. You got it. I got it. 
but also the subjective truth, saying that your life is transparent, it's honest, it is guileless, it is good. It matches what you know, what you believe, what you believe is how you walk, walking in truth. His, uh, how do you say, walk the truth, his hip was in sync with his lip. We know these truths, and sometimes we continue to pray, Lord, give me, make me, help me walk in truth. You know, it's a good thing to pray, that's right, but there are, God is saying, I've already given you those. We need to get discipline. We need to get around and say, Lord, you've, you know, I need to put myself down. It's not about me. And the truth is, at the cost of ourself, that we can walk in the truth. When you have a life of faithfulness, beloved, it is a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are. He was faithful in all his effort. And I like that phrase, faithful in all his efforts. There are, uh, there are Four things you can pick up from there and understand what faithfulness means because sometimes we say, I want to be faithful. What does that mean? I, I think there are four parts, four things you can take out from there. You do, that is you do in all your efforts. There's persistence. There's something that you keep doing. You know, you don't give up. Keep doing it. When it talks about, you know, uh, uh, whether it be a discipline or whatever it is that you're struggling with, you say, no, I can't get around to reading the word or uh, whatever it is that you're struggling with sometimes, you say, no, I, I, I'll fix the time, I will do it. You know the persistence? That, that, that's, that's the w- word here. And not just persistent, but also consistent. Not just blips up and down to do it consistently. And to do it in all your effort, which is a labor. It's not an easy thing. It doesn't come to me easily. Prayer doesn't make things easy. Prayer just enables me to recognize I don't have the strength. I depend on God, but there's a labor that I do. I work. God calls us to labor. And then it says, in a manner worthy of God talks about excellence. So faithfulness has got these three things, the persistence, the consistence, and then it's got the effort and it's the excellence in a manner worthy of God, doing all things as unto God. Even when your supervisor is not looking at you or your teacher is not there, or you're, not, you're not goofing off. We've got work to do to do it as unto God. No wonder faithfulness is the reward, is the basis of reward. It's, there's labor, there's struggle. And then there is a life of helpfulness or hospitality or giving. Guys has been commended for the fact that uh, he's, John is saying, hey, I want to encourage you to keep doing this good thing of giving sacrificially to the point of saying, you know, that God uh, be glorified in my giving. Four things that he brings out. Verse 6, it says, verse 6, it says, um, who testified of your love before the church that you, you, you will do well to send them on in a manner worthy of God. It honors God. It honors God. Your giving honors God. 
because you're giving it as unto God. And when you give it to the ministers, when you give it to those who are serving God, it is as if you're uh, doing it in service to Jesus Christ. We read that in Matthew chapter 10, verse 40, and Matthew chapter 25, verse 34 to 40. And not just that, verse 7 says, it is as if you're reaching the lost. You're giving helps to reach the lost. Verse 7, for they've gone out for, for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. And that's a standard seeking nothing from the Gentiles. Abraham, when the king of Sodom came and wanted to give him something, he says, I won't even take a shoe latchet, lest you take any honor away from my God. And then verse 8 talks about an obedience to God. Therefore, we ought to support like these, people like these. It's an obedience. Galatians 6, 6 says, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. And verse 8 says, again, your fellow helpers to the truth, that in your giving, you become co-laborer with the truth. The four reasons why your giving is important. We don't talk much about giving because, you know, it, it is embarrassing. But this is God's word. Nothing might be a good reason, a good uh, place for me to stop and to, to say this. This month I complete three months, three years, sorry, in the Lord's work. And um, God has opened ministry opportunities which we are able to serve in faith with the biblical eldership resource, which is church leadership around the world with the voice of the martyrs, being able to speak on their behalf in various churches in GTA, uh, the radio ministry, which is faith, faith, by, uh, faith by hearing, uh, to sit on the board of MSC and a couple other things. And this I'm able to do voluntarily. I'm not signed up on any trust. I don't receive anything. I say this only because I want to say that the support that this church has given helps us to do that. And so you are co-laborers. And I want you to know that. And I don't share this to say that I want your continued support. But I hope you understand that when God lays in your heart to give, that you're giving for the extension and the building up of the kingdom of God. Not to me, but even to uh, dear couple and others who come like Daniel and Christina and Clinton uh, and, and as God brings people into your life and if there is ever in your heart the stirring to give, give graciously and give sacrificially because that is how you lay up treasures for yourself. You are a co-laborer in the work, not the money that is laid up there, but in co-laboring with the work because the two things that you can take up to heaven is relationship and character. Relationship because of the souls that you've impacted for eternity, both saints and otherwise, and also character because it teaches you to give sacrificially, to be dependent on God. And so thank you for allowing me to, to share that uh, but I hope it continues to be an encouragement. 
Because Warren Wiersbe says this, we do not know what his, this is Gaius's, spiritual gifts were or how he served in the congregation, but we do know that Gaius helped extend and defend the truth by assisting those who taught and preached it. So let's move on to Diotrephes. Diotrephes, his, his uh, things, and I'll, I'll go through real quick, and I'll be coming short on time. He had a pride. He had a pride that demanded a position. He did not um, listen to authority because even the apostolic authority he rejected. He was a church bully, and he had evil words to speak evil words to speak. And this is what he says, don't imitate. Don't imitate. You see, a pride that demanded position, uh, uh, arrogance that rejected authority, a speech that is wicked, and a church bully who forces on authority. You see, pride is like an invisible cloak that we put on. And I call it the invisible cloak because it's invisible to me. I'm the one who can't see. The one who's prideful is the last one who gets to know the person is, pri- uh, is, pr- is proud. Pride is an opposite of 1 Corinthians 13, or 1 Corinthians 13 written backwards. Let me read just a passage. Pride is not patient. Pride is not kind. Pride envies. Pride boasts. Pride is arrogant. Pride is rude. It insists on its own way. It is irritable. It is resentful. This is what Augustine had to say. It was pride that changed the angels into devils. It's the humility that makes men as angels. And John knew what he was talking about. You know why? I want to say this. You know, in Mark chapter 10, verse 42 to 44, this is what it says. And Jesus called them and said, do you not know those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and the great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. And whoever would be the great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be the first among you must be slave of all. And do you know what the context is? This is when the sons of Zebedee, John and James, go to Jesus. Hey, Lord Jesus, can you just give me whatever I ask you? Could you make me sit at your right hand and your left hand? Left side, right side. In Matthew, they even get his mother to come along. And the disciples are upset because they got short charge because now there were only two positions. Now these two want to take it. And that's when Jesus says this. The sons of Zebedee. And it's this same John who's now writing against the perils of pride. And he says it by saying that this spirit of diatrophies must be avoided at all cost. You know, when, um, when self is given any prominence in our thoughts, when we feel easily offended, or when we jostle for positions or things or our opinions or whatever it is, that's a good place to nip in the bud, that self that's rising up. When the bile of self rises up from the pit of your stomach, go take the antacid of God's word. 
and know the pride can do great damage. There's no place for pride. Then you have Demetrius. The Demetrius. He is the one to whom Gaius is saying show hospitality and it's, he's got threefold testimony. He says uh, he's got testimony from everyone. He has a testimony from truth itself and he has the testimony of the apostle. Everybody who interacted with Demetrius had a good word about, uh, about him. About truth itself, it's not personified. This is not Jesus Christ. This is the biblical truth saying that if you match his life with that of the word, it matches up well. So that's a good thing for us to remember. And we don't read much about Demetrius except the fact that he's got a good testimony. And sometimes that is all we need. Not about all our work and everything that we do, but so how does how do how do we get this good testimony? How do we get that? It's not by striving to work hard. It's not by wearing that what would Jesus do bracelet, saying that okay, I'm gonna try my best to do what Jesus does. We cannot do what Jesus can do. We can only surrender ourselves to Jesus Christ and by his strength that he will work in us, change us from the inside to reflect it on the outside. And that is where we get a good testimony. Let me quickly give you the story of John Newton. John Newton was a hymn writer. Two of the hymns that we sing very, very often, How Sweet the Name of Jesus Sounds, and the second very uh, famously sung song, Faith's Review and Expectation. Faith's Review and Expectation is a title song for the first two words of the first line of that song, Amazing Grace. He pastored for two decades, and in, at the age of 82, when he was dying, he was half blind, half deaf. And the, uh, the Times, I believe it was, one of the newspapers had this to say. They said he, he had an unblemished life. But those who know his story knew that he was a slave trader. He was, uh, he was, uh, he was depraved. He was worse. He, he had the most horrible of existence. And it's from that, in a, in a wonderful way, when ship was sinking at one point in time, and he cried out to God, and somehow the cargo just moved and blocked the hole. That is how his life got saved. But he had not got saved to a long time. That's when he realized there was a God that began the process of his change. And he lived a life after, after that change that the scars of his previous lives were not evidenced anymore because what they were able to see was the life, the transformed life that Jesus wrought in his life. But the reason why he was able to keep that good testimony is because he never forgot where God had called him from. His heart was grateful. You see, most times we have a problem because we're not grateful from the pit of sin that God has uh, taken us out from. Because we, we, I didn't kill anybody. I'm not sure if you did, but you know, I think I'm okay. And, and so I think of it lightly. But this is what his, um, 
uh, tombstone reads, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, and pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. John Newton was another example of the son of thunder who became the child of God, a servant of love. That's the work that Christ is doing, the Spirit is doing in our lives. But he had this heart of gratitude, which is a great building block for a good testimony. I often think of the uh, you know, the parable of those 10,000 talents, the person who, uh, who was forgiven the 10,000 talents, and then, and then he goes out and he sees the one with 500 denarii and, uh, and he doesn't forgive. But if, if that forgiveness were a condition for, for his forgiveness for 10,000, I would, I, I want, I'm not a betting man, but I, I want to bet just on this one that he would have easily forgiven that 500 dinari. If the king had said, you know, if you forgive that 500 dinari, I'll forgive you this 10,000. He would have no qualms. But yet, because we've received forgiveness so easily, even though it's expensive and, and, and valuable, we find it so difficult to forgive our brothers and our sisters who are just like me, just like you. A heart of gratitude builds for good testimony. And so the charge. Imitate good. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. The, the line is drawn. It's mandatory that our imitation is of good and not of evil. Well, we can't, you know, we, we, we have no other, um, no excuse. And so let me just go right through uh, which says this, a true godly imitation is this. What is seen on the outside is not the spirit of diatrophies, but the transformed heart of John, the faithful hospitality of Gaius, and the godly testimony of Demetrius. The transformed heart of John, the faithful hospitality of Gaius, the godly testimony of Demetrius. W. H. Griffith Thomas says this, and I'll close. There's no greater foe to Christianity than mere profession. You say you're a Christian, and you just keep saying, there's no greater discredit to Christianity today than to stand up for it and yet not live it in our lives. There's no greater danger in the Christian world today than to stand up for the Bible and yet deny the Bible by the very way we defend it. There's no greater hindrance to Christianity today than to contend for orthodoxy, whatever orthodoxy may be, and to deny it by the censorship and the hardness and the unattractiveness with which we champion our cause. Oh, how powerful a personal testimony 
where the heart filled with the love of Christ, the mind saturated with the teaching of Christ, and the conscious sensitive to the law of Christ, the whole nature aglow with the grace and the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, my plea this morning, this afternoon is this, that we would not just talk about it, start to live it. Not start to look for excuses, but to say with a grateful heart, Lord, I've received much. He loads us with benefits. His mercies are new every morning. How much more, how much more do we need before our hearts would even begin to stir in response for the goodness and the grace of God? Father, we pray. Lord, we want to thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that that you would forgive us because we have said mere words of a desire and yet, Lord, not lived it where we have placed ourselves on the altar, where we have placed our bodies as a living sacrifice, where we have taken up the cross, denied ourselves and taken up the cross. And we pray today that we will, we will, we will say to ourselves, our self is dead. We are crucified on the cross with Christ and that the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. May that be true for all of us, Lord. In Jesus Christ, the Lord's name. Amen.